You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds, the owner of Summer Properties Northwest, Reynolds and Klein Appraisal, and your host for this episode of the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. So you might have seen on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, that there was also a pandemic going on during the time of the original Woodstock in 1969, summer of love, summer of 1969. So what happened back then that during a pandemic, a concert that ended up having between four and 500,000 people was allowed to go on. And now we can't have more than a couple of people go into the grocery store at one time. What's the difference between then and now, even though that pandemic, the Hong Kong flu, looks pretty similar to COVID-19? Let's take a look. So when did the, maybe we'll take first a look at some of the highlights of what happened. And and this is the the storyline I saw out of the UK was how a filthy Woodstock still went ahead during 1968 Hong Kong flu pandemic that killed 100,000 Americans and a million people worldwide. And it infected everyone from President Lyndon Johnson to the Apollo 8 crew and even Shamu the killer whale. Shamu got the Hong Kong flu. That's disappointing. The 1968 Hong Kong flu pandemic caused by the H3N2 virus killed 100,000 Americans and 1 million people worldwide. The virus is spread in the U.S. by troops returning home from the Vietnam War. More Americans died from the Hong Kong flu pandemic than the combined number of U.S. casualties in both the Vietnam and the Korean War. It also killed so many people in Berlin that corpses were stored in subway tunnels. That's brutal. As of today, H3N2 was deadlier than COVID-19, which has a current death toll of whatever, 300 and, I don't know, 300-something thousand, Um, although it's expected to surpass the number of those killed during the 1968 pandemic. New York City declared a state of emergency but kept schools and businesses open. 400,000 people attended Woodstock. And festival organizer Joel Rasmussen said there was no containment measures to defy. So they were holding a massive festival. I mean, the festival originally was supposed to be maybe 30,000. They thought maybe 60,000 people if we're really lucky. It ended up being 400 to 500,000 people. They don't really know because there were so many people they couldn't count. And by basically day one of the festival, Nobody was handing in their tickets. The The containment of the festival was just wide open, way too many people. So, and in that festival, you had, for those of you who don't know Woodstock, that was an amazing concert, an amazing time. I was born in 1968, so I'm born in November of 1968. The Hong Kong flu started in September of 1968, so two months before I was born. So then I'm, a, I'm alive, a little baby, kind of going through all this uh, Hong Kong flu. But I've never really heard about the Hong Kong flu until I was doing a comparison a few days ago about uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus, relative to other pandemics, kind of comparing the sizes and the death toll and how many people it hit. And one of the ones that was most similar was the Hong Kong flu of 1968. And then I saw a post this morning from Fiona Westby, fellow real estate broker. Fiona, how we doing? And uh, I saw a post uh, that she had regarding Woodstock in um, 
and, and the, this pandemic. And I was like, you know, that's pretty interesting. And I started looking into it. And the similarities, there are similarities. There are also probably some pretty big differences as well between COVID-19 and the Hong Kong flu. But the numbers is what I was looking at. 100,000 Americans died. Yeah, we'll probably exceed that, I would think, with COVID-19. But a million people worldwide. And will we hit that? I don't know. Who knows? Who knows how this will go? Um, and the Hong Kong flu still takes people out today. It still reoccurs with the flu. It's one of those those things that kind of go around. So back to Woodstock, though, more importantly. So at Woodstock, you had um, you had Jimi Hendrix. He played on Monday. So concert goers, they're just partying for three days straight. Jimi Hendrix didn't want to go on until the very end. He played on Monday morning to a crowd of like 20 or 30,000 people. Most everybody had already gone home. He's out there just going crazy. He'd been up all night. I think for se- he'd been up for like 72 straight hours. He was doing a lot of coffee. And um, you had Jimi Hendrix. You had The Who. You had, I think you had Janis Joplin. I can't remember. You had Country Joe and the Fish. You had 10 years after. Just You had Santana, Carlos Santana. Just some amazing, amazing bands. And most of them were flown in via helicopter. A lot of the bands found out how many people were there. And they're like, hey, we need to get paid up front. So the concert promoters, you can see the documentary on Netflix. It's an amazing, amazing documentary. And it shows the main promoter, Michael Lang, when he was probably, I don't know, 22, 23. And these guys just put this concert together in a matter of months. Unlike the fire festival that happened, what, a couple of years ago, and that promoter went to jail, Woodstock, Woodstock actually went on, and, you know, it's just this epic time in, in history of music. I think it was epic because I wasn't able to be there. I was, like, not even a year old. Uh, I was literally not a year old, like 10 months old. So I missed out, but I love that music. I love that era. And you hear very little about the Hong Kong flu going on during this time and how come things were just so wildly different back then let's take a look at at some of the stuff Um, here are experiences in a piece for the national review john fund recalled his memories during the 1968 pandemic saying he was just old enough to remember what was going on as his family lived near the travis air force base in the bay area where soldiers returned home from vietnam in 1968 Uh, It amazes me now, but I was able to give my oral report in class because the schools didn't close in California or anywhere else in the country. He said people still practice social distancing, rode buses less frequently, and washed their hands, but people were still going to work. No shutdowns, business as usual, let's just go. Marilyn Brown, she was the owner of the Sea World Travel and Tours in Harbor City, California, shared her story with Travel Weekly about her experiences in 1968 when her son, Stephen Brown, was infected with the virus, and she thought his sickness was just a bad flu. Other than my co-workers bring down their own alcohol to wipe down their desks and wipe down pencils and not use pencils that clients had used, we didn't do anything. They basically just did nothing. Now, was that because didn't know a lot about infectious control of diseases back then, or they didn't worry about it, or they just didn't have the media to send them this story that they needed to fear for their lives. It's hard to say. It, it's 
really hard to say, but we've got a lot more information at our hands and that's kind of driving us crazy right now because if you look at the news stories, you can literally go out of your head trying to figure out which way to go uh, to figure it out. Here's some of the, the stats on the, the, the timeline on the Hong Kong flu is that it started somewhere around late um, 1968, September, October, November. Does that sound familiar? Kind of like the way our flu uh, the not flu, but coronavirus started in in China in late, maybe as uh, September, October, November. We kind of think that's when we started hearing about it. And I think our first case is now in December of uh, 2019 in California. So almost the exact same time period, just different year, years and years and years before. And it has to do basically with the flu season. And so the first wave of the Hong Kong flu ended about March of 1969. So keep that in mind, just about identical to what we're experiencing. So March, so our, our the, peak, the peak was March, April of 2020. March 1969 was kind of the ending of the first wave of the Hong Kong flu. The second wave didn't happen until November of 1969. Does this sound familiar? A second wave coming back around? That's what everybody's talking about. So this is based on history. This is kind of what these pandemics do, especially the flu viruses, they come back around. So November of 1969, that's the second flu season. The um, Hong Kong flu came back around. Now, Woodstock happened August of 1969. So in between there, and a lot of people are saying, well, there was no pandemic going on during Woodstock. Yeah, there was. There was. It just wasn't as active. And it was in between kind of two, uh, the first outbreak and the second outbreak. But what I find really interesting is that the planning for Woodstock was happening in January of 1969, right during the absolute peak of the pandemic. And they were like, yep, we're just pretty much gonna go ahead and do a, a massive concert. And at the time, they knew it was going to be a big concert, but they didn't know how big it was going to be, obviously. But they were pulling in some big acts. I mean, they got the who to play. I mean, just enormous bands at that time, these guys are flying in from all over the world to play this venue in upstate New York that they slapped together in less than a year. Those events now take literally years to put together adequately, unlike the fire festival, which took a short amount of time, but didn't happen. And the concert promoter ended up in jail or is he in prison? I'm not sure. But there just wasn't much going on as far as social distancing or any other precautions back then. The 1968 flu pandemic commonly referred to as the Hong Kong flu was caused by H3N2 avian influenza virus. The first recorded outbreak of the disease was in Hong Kong in the summer of 1968, although some experts theorize the virus may have originated in mainland China. Sound familiar again? Yep. The virus, which is still around today, is from a group of avian influences that produced in the 1957 flu pandemic, the H2N2 virus. So one of the theories is that the Hong Kong flu is that there was a little bit of that herd immunity from the 1957 uh, pandemic outbreak that carried through to the Hong Kong flu basically 10 years later. 
Also of note is the difference in population. In July of 1969, the U.S. had about 202, 203 million people. Now we've got about 330 million people. So our population is way larger now. So the amount of people that the Hong Kong flu, flu took out percentage-wise was, was far greater, um, just based on numbers alone. So here's some interesting stories that the promoters had. This is promoter Joel Rosenman of the original Woodstock. Woodstock was not partying in defiance of pandemic containment measures because at the time of Woodstock, there was no visible pandemic and there were no containment measures to defy. Even though a pandemic was going on, they didn't even really recognize it. In the months following the December-January peak of the pandemic, the flu all but disappeared. Woodstock co-producer Joel Rosmanson told Reuters, but by mid-1969, any preoccupation with the virus had given way to widespread unconcern. Just people like, uh, yeah, it killed uh, 100,000 people, or maybe by then it killed 60,000 people, kind of about what it's doing right now with the uh, coronavirus. It wasn't until the next flu season, several months after Woodstock, that the second um, uh, flu outbreak happened, and uh, it just wasn't good. So Woodstock organizer Michael Lang told the New York Times in 1969 that a dozen doctors were on site because of the potential threat of a virus cold or pneumonia epidemic among such a large gathering, but he did not specify any concerns about the Hong Kong flu. So I think they were aware that, yeah, maybe this kind of thing will happen with big crowds, but we're really not going to worry about it. We're planning on somewhere like 30, 60,000 people. We're going to have like a dozen doctors. I've read accounts where there was dozens and dozens of doctors, but I don't think this concert, it wasn't that kind of concert where it was that well planned ahead. Logistics were, can we get the bands in? Can we pay the bands? Are we going to have enough food? And obviously, if you've watched the documentary and the original Woodstock, none of what was supposed to happen happened. You had literally farmers from surrounding communities making sandwiches and food and shipping those in to people. And then at the end of the concert, the National Guard had to start bringing in food. There were so many people. Cars were lined the roads for miles and miles and miles. Traffic was stop standstill. And uh, some of the, the, the farmers around there were not happy. But could you imagine if the coronavirus hit now during a concert of, call it 400,000 people? What kind of pandemonium would we have now? I mean, we're supposed to be washing our hands and doing all this stuff. There wasn't any of that going on. They didn't even have porta-potties, really, like we do now with at least hand sanitizer back in 1969. Here's a concert goer. I was aware of the flu, but not concerned about it at the festival. This is Onondaga Hill resident Dave Tiedemann, who attended the original Woodstock. He told Syracuse.com, there was certainly no social distancing nor masks. Bottles and other things were passed and shared among friends and strangers alike. They just didn't have a real sense of, oh, this is really bad, even though it's killing a lot of people, taking a lot of people out. And what was really interesting about it to me was that it basically took out people over 65 or who were obese or who had existing conditions already, kind of like the flu does. So planning happened literally during January of 1969, during the worst period of death. So 
why do we have planning going for a festival back then? And if that happened today, what do you think planning for festivals would look like? I go to a lot of shows. I go to a lot of live concerts. And guess what? There's not going to be a show probably until maybe a year from now. I know a lot of the big shows, Rage Against the Machine, um, trying to think of the other big concert tours that I know are going to uh, crank up. They're all basically being rescheduled for like June of 2021. So over a year away from where we are right now, which is government kind of reopening states. Uh, we're a few days away from Memorial Day. And by Memorial Day, every state in the United States will be open to some extent, some slower than others. Washington, obviously, a little bit slower than other states, but we had more of an outbreak and we had more deaths. So it's like, okay, but let's get this show on the road and, and get going. So planning uh, took place literally during the absolute heart of the pandemic. There was no governmental regulation. There was no shutdown. There was no masks. There was no nothing. So some of the things that come to my mind is that we just weren't really aware of how all this went down. We, we weren't really aware of diseases. We didn't have the government control and we didn't have the access to information like everybody has today on their cell phone. So we weren't, they weren't freaked out. And I've talked to a lot of older folks, my parents' generation, and, hey, do you remember the, the Hong Kong flu? And most people are like, no. And I'm like, well, how come? And they're like, it just wasn't that big of a deal. But that generation now, who was in their 20s then, are very afraid of the coronavirus because it takes out old people. So if you're in that demographic, you're going to pay way more attention to it. Talked to one of my brokers this morning, and he's in that demographic that gets hit by the coronavirus. And he's like, hey, are you staying home? And I'm like, well, kind of. Not really. Um, and for me, it's a matter of you keep the people who are at risk, keep them home, keep them out of the way, but let everybody else go back to work. Because there's a point at which you just got to kind of step out and go, all right, it's go time. Let's go. And I think that's now. Take a look at what happened with Georgia, state of Georgia. Everybody was absolutely freaked out that Georgia is going to have this massive blow up of cases and deaths. Didn't really happen, did it? No, didn't really happen. So here's an interesting comment, and this is from the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal reported the viruses came in two different waves, which we've talked about. The second outbreak in the latter half of 1969 was deadlier than the first wave from the year prior. And we know that that might be a reality, but it's going to come. That's kind of what this thing does, right? I mean, we just know it. Governments and the media didn't call for restrictions on public life and economic activity. The disease was allowed to run through communities virtually unhindered until a vaccine became available to stop it about four months after it surfaced. Then it took them a while to get the vaccine out, but they were able to come up with something fairly quickly. And so I, I think we're kind of there right now. We're trying to get the vaccine together, but everybody is so flipped out about something that has obviously happened over the course of history and it does what it does. And do you need to stay home? In my opinion, I don't know. Uh, that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, for some people, obviously, you got to stay home. But uh, if, if not, then I think you don't worry about it and you do your thing. The New York Post points out that H3N2, that is the Hong Kong virus, and COVID-19 are similar as both viruses spread quickly. 
They cause respiratory symptoms such as fever, coughs, and shortness of breath, and they are deadliest for adults over the age of 65 or those with pre-existing health conditions. As I mentioned before, President Lyndon Johnson got it. Um, Vice President Humphrey Hubert got it. And that's kind of similar to the UK uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson getting it. And it also mentions Tom Hanks. Well, he's not really a politician, but, you know, Forrest Gump's a pretty good movie. So you throw his name out there, too. So some famous people have got it, including Shamu the, the whale. The fact that the Hong Kong flu killed more people than uh, more casualties than the Korean and Vietnam wars kind of to me tells me there was a lot going on during this time period. And so maybe the looking at the coronavirus today is much more front and center. We don't have a ton of other stuff going on. During that time period, you had man going to the moon. This is kind of my early baby years. You got man going to the moon. You've got the Manson family murders. Everybody knows Charles Manson. You have got, what else do you have? Um, you've got the Vietnam War. You've got um, civil rights movement. You've got protests against the Vietnam War going on. You've got just a lot of stuff. You've got GIs coming back. I know my dad was a pallbearer at one of his good friends' uh, funeral in his 20s, coming back from the Vietnam War in a body bag. So I think there's a really different perspective back then than the late 1960s and, and the early 1970s. There was a, a worldwide perspective, and especially a perspective in the United States. You had so much other stuff going on that the flu, I mean, I mean, not to belittle the Hong Kong virus, but... It was something going around that took some people out, but not a lot of attention was given to it because it kind of just does its thing just like it does today. That's kind of my point. So in one of the, the explanations was this is Nathaniel Moore of the New York Post wrote, he reasoned that the death was a bigger and more accepted part of daily American life in the 1960s. So you had the Vietnam War, took out a ton of people. You're also only 10 years out from the Korean War, 1950s. So you got a lot of just hardcore stuff going on. I remember my earliest uh, memory of watching television was watching the helicopters take off from the top of the U.S. Embassy as, they, as the United States basically pulled out of Saigon. Just helicopters are just boop, gone. And they were dumping helicopters over the, over the sides of United States Navy vessels to make room for more people. Yet so many people on these ships trying to get out of Vietnam because it was such a cluster that you're dumping helicopters, million-dollar helicopters, just over the side, or I don't know how much a helicopter costs, but a lot. You're dumping those over because you needed more room for people to get on because the Vietnam War and all the Vietnam refugees coming out of Vietnam. Just such a crazy time period. And so the Hong Kong flu, just not that big of a deal. But today, we just focus on it, media focuses on it, and it's just become this national obsession. And so death was a bigger and more accepted part of American life in the 1960s. World War II and the Korean War weren't too far gone in the rearview mirror. In 1968, you are only just a little over 20 years after World War II. So, I mean, you put that in perspective. You've got World War II, 
you've got the Korean War, you've got Vietnam, pretty heavy duty. So a little flu virus comes along, eh, don't get too worked up about it. Just, just not what's going on. Um, the Korean uh, War wasn't too far gone in the rearview mirror before America found themselves again involved in another deadly conflict in, a, in Vietnam. Polio haunted people until a vaccine was developed in the mid-1950s. You got polio running around too. And in 1957, the world was plagued by another pandemic, the H2N2 Asian flu. Got a lot of flu running around. We look at the coronavirus and go, oh my gosh, what's going on? This is crazy. These pandemics have been going around forever. I mean, you look at the timeline of modern man, whatever that is. These things go around and kill a million people, 10 million people, 200 million people pretty regularly. And that's with a much, much smaller um, population. Furthermore, a vaccine for the Hong Kong flu was developed right away, even though it took a while to get it mass produced and distributed. The variable in this pandemic is that we don't have a vaccine yet. So we don't have a vaccine yet for the coronavirus. That's a massive one. But in January of 1969, when they were planning Woodstock, they didn't have one then either. They just kind of like, business as usual, let's do this. So the variable in this pandemic, the coronavirus, is that we don't have a vaccine yet. We're making it from scratch. We have no experience with the coronavirus. All right. So what they're saying is that uh, previous pandemics, they took some of the information from those, the 1957 pandemic. And basically, they're like, all right, this one's this way. And they're able to create a, um, a pretty quick vaccine for it. That's my understanding of it, if that's incorrect. It's because I'm a real estate guy and not a disease guy. And I talk about stuff sometimes that um, might be a little bit outside of my wheelhouse. But I do know a lot about Woodstock. And I know it happened during the Hong Kong flu. So... Um, what I found super interesting was kind of this sum up. And this sum up was that generation approached viruses and that being that generation, that's my parents' generation. My mom just turned 79 yesterday. And my dad is, I think, five or six years earlier, younger. So he's 73, I think, and 74. Now he's got to be 75. I'm 51 and he was 24 when I was born. So something like that. So now you know all my family history. Um, good luck with that. That generation, being my parents' generation, approached viruses with calm, rationality, and intelligence. This is Jeffrey Tucker in the New York Post. And in addition to dealing with viruses with calm, rationality, and intelligent behavior, we left disease mitigation to medical professionals, individuals, and families, rather than politics, politicians, and government. So I think for me at age 51, having to go through basically my government telling me what to do instead of my family telling me what to do, that's a big shocker. That's a big change. Maybe for my kids, maybe for the millennial generation, they don't know any different. They're like, well, this is kind of what you do, right? You got to have a bunch of government officials telling you what to do. Well, for me, no. And for my parents, no, never had this. It's never been this way. Do we need it? I don't think so. But we've got it. And here we are. So I guess deal with it. And so as we kind of come out of this lockdown, I think you're seeing the sentiment turn more and more to all right, let's get going. We've seen the worst of it. If there is a round two, deal with it then. I think that's a lot of what we've got going on. So if you haven't watched the 
Woodstock uh, documentary. Take a look at it. It's pretty cool. Shows a different time in American history, a different mentality, and there was no cell phones. So there's that. All right. So I'm going to sign off now. Thank you so much for watching on YouTube. If you stuck to the bitter end here and uh, love to have you subscribe. And uh, for those of you listening on our podcast platforms, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, our podcast numbers have been going way up as well as YouTube. So thank you all for the support out there. Um, that's it. Have a great Memorial Day weekend if you haven't already by the time you see this. And we'll catch you in the next one. We're doing daily podcasts uh, during the shutdown and after the shutdown, maybe. We'll see. All right. Again, I'm Sean Reynolds from Summer Properties Northwest, Reynolds Decline Appraisal. We'll catch you in the next one. Bye. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out.